Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Joining us this morning, uh, the twin sister docs, Dr. Delana Wardlaw, Dr. Elena McDonald. They are board certified physicians and they are twins. Doctors, good morning. Good morning, Solomon. Good morning, Solomon. How are you both? You're doing well. You're well. But doing well. Yeah, exactly. It is freezing. (laughs) But you know what? That's normal. Um, I'd rather have normal than it's like 60 and it's January. You're looking around like, all right, is it the end of the world? Right. Global warming is continue to kick in. So you're right. This is normal. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. So, um, Dr. Wallace, sad news yesterday with the passing of Dexter King, the youngest son of Martin Luther King. He died yesterday at 62 from prostate cancer. The disease had been especially deadly for black men. What do we need to know about prostate cancer? Yeah, this is unfortunate, Solomon. So young, um, but Many people experience this, but prostate cancer, Solomon, is 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 is, is very common, unfortunately, and it's common in black men. And what we, what I really want people to understand is that in African American men, it's common. Usually, is more aggressive, and we get diagnosed at later stages. So, and when we had unfortunately have higher um, death rates from it. So, people need to recognize that um, all men have have a prostate. Um, and you know, other people who I, who ha- anybody who have male biological organs, I'll put it like that, Solomon, mm-hmm. um, have a prostate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, there are screenings that need to be done and people need to be aware of that. I, as a primary care physician, as a family medicine physician, my patient population is pr- predominantly black and I screen very aggressively. I start screening at the age of 40, all my African American males. And, um, you know, if you are, I want people to be aware of symptoms, Solomon, um, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that people, if they're noticing blood in their in their urine, if they're noticing blood in their semen, if they're having problems urinating, if you're up urinating throughout the night, um, if you are having issues with your stream, um, if you are having um, incontinence, you know you're losing urine, um, and you and you and you and you and you really don't understand why. These are reasons why you need to have a conversation with your doctor. The initial screening test is a simple blood test, which is the PSA, which many people are familiar with. Um, and then if that is, is elevated, it doesn't necessarily mean it's prostate cancer, but it does mean that you need to have a, a, a further evaluation. Yes, many people are intimidated about that rectal exam. Hey, Solomon, we all have to do things in life that sometimes is just uncomfortable. It takes mm-hmm. a triple second. It has to be done. It has to be done. So people need to really make sure they set their mind around that. Make sure you have to get it done because it is about your health. Solomon, we have to make sure that people are doing what they can to put themselves in a better, healthy situation. Mm-hmm. Diet, exercise. If you smoke, please quit. That increases your risk. And your family history is key, Solomon. People need to make sure we are discussing family history. You're at higher risk if your brother, your father, your 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 um, child had prostate cancer. That puts you at higher risk for prostate cancer, and if it's caught early, Solomon, it has very, very, very um, high success rates of being of being cured. Mm-hmm. So please mm-hmm. talk to your doctor. If you're having any signs or symptoms, please don't hesitate to call. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I think it is uh, it is key for, and men don't want to go to the doctor. That's the thing. Like, I, you know, my wife uh, is on me about, about going to the, and I go. You know, uh, and so, you know, those who who love us, 
need to be kind of on us to make sure that we go to the, because we don't want to go. We don't want to go to the doctor. Yeah. And, and that's so true, Solomon. Solomon. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your wife, do yeah. it for your children, yeah. do, it for your, do it for your parents, mm-hmm. do it for the people who love you. Mm-hmm. But we really want you to do it for yourself. There but you if go. we can't get you to do it that way, do it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Dr. McDonald, there's a groundbreaking study from neuroscientists at Columbia that's found that children learn better on paper than they do on tablets and screens. How did they determine that and what should we do now? So, yes, we, we and honestly, Solomon, this is, this is not something that's really new. There's always been, you know, question and some information out there about how children learn best. Mm-hmm. This particular study was done out of Columbia and they looked at about uh, 59 middle school, middle school students. Okay. So when you're talking middle school, you're talking, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And they had them read passages. Mm-hmm. They had them read it on paper and they had them read it digitally. And what, and then they, they, um, measured their, their, um, brain activity to see how they were, uh, how their brain was responding and how they were able to continue to interpret and understand, um, uh, and process the wording. Mm-hmm. And what the study has found is that the children who were reading off paper, they're much better than the children who were reading digitally. So that goes back to say, you know, during COVID, we made, we made a huge shift. We were forced to make a shift. We we're in the middle of, of an emergency. Um, so we were forced to send everybody home and learn from their tablet. Mm-hmm. Well, we knew quickly moving into the pandemic that that was not ideal, but it was something that we had to do. But studies, studies have shown, the data has shown that our children being forced has significantly decreased during the pandemic, even before the pandemic. So this study is just saying that, yes, while we have shifted into the digital world, we're in the 21st century, we still need to be considering good old paper and pencil as part uh, as a key part of our children's learning, mm-hmm. especially early on, so that they get the basis. Um, so that's really the, the, the main um, outcome of this study. But it is a small study. It has not been peer reviewed, which is key to say. We know that has to be that has to be reviewed to make sure there was appropriate appropriate um, um, uh, procedures that were done during the study, and that it is um, that the data is uh, significant. So. It needs to be peer reviewed, but the main idea that comes out of this is that we still need regular books. We still need pen and paper. Yes, we're in a digital world, but that's not the only way that our children should be learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it, it, to me, it's amazing because everything that kids do now is on a screen. Yeah. You know, they're not writing down a whole lot of stuff. For me, it's easier for me to retain stuff when I'm writing it down, even if I'm typing it, right? If I have to manually write what it is that that I'm learning, then it helps me to retain it. Uh, but when I'm just reading it on a screen, then it's harder for me to retain or just reading it on paper. It's harder for me to retain it if I'm not writing it down. And, and, and this study is showing that, yes, just doing it digitally is not enough. It's not enough for our children. Our brain is processing differently. We need to not time to throw out the books just yet. Mm hmm. All right. So, Dr. Warlaw, I want to talk about California because their Department of Health has relaxed COVID isolation guidelines. If you test positive, have no symptoms, you don't have to isolate. If you taste, uh, test positive and have mild symptoms, they have made some adjustments to that, too. Um, what exactly did they do in California and should other states follow suit? So, California said that if you test positive COVID and you don't have any symptoms, then you don't have to isolate. You still need to wear a mask for 10 days, but you don't have to isolate. Or the the other phase to it is, 
if you test positive and you do have symptoms, that you don't have to wait the entire five days of isolation. You can uh, return back to your normal activities when your uh, symptoms improve uh, or, or, or when your symptoms um, are gone and you are without a fever for 24 hours. So um, this is what they have put in place. Um, California did it. Oregon has done it as well. And so um, the CDC has not changed their guidelines just yet, Solomon. I think that um, as a medical profession, I think it's best for us to um, follow practices to have one, you know, one set of guidelines. I think that it creates a lot of room for interpretation for people and misinterpretation when you have different sets of guidelines. Mm. But with that being said, they have moved in this direction, Solomon. And so we will see what um you know, if it has a, a disproportionate effect on people who have, um, or, you know, the number of cases that go up, you know, severe disease. But we're not going to have that information anytime soon, Solomon. And I think that, you know, sometimes people have their symptoms confused. They're not sure if it's the, the flu. They're not sure if it's the common cold. They're not sure if it's COVID. So they'll be, you know, um, and we ask people to test, but we know um, some people don't test. You know, people just continue to move. I think that there is some room for some misinterpretation there, Solomon. I also think that because COVID is one of those respiratory conditions that go all year round, mm-hmm. you know, we have flu and RSV, but those are contained to, to, to respiratory season. Where COVID goes <coughs> all year round, I'm sorry, Solomon, mm-hmm. goes all year round. So I think that um, that move, I can kind of see why they did it, but Solomon, but I think right now uh, we need to continue to follow the uh, the uh, CDC guidelines Um Yes, Solomon. I think right now we we, we still follow these guys. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. And <laughs> and we absolutely need to see you coughing. Just just telling me that what you're saying is right. <laughs> yes, Solomon. <laughs> we, we need to we need to follow those guidelines. Um, I think that you know they, they are trying to help people to feel a, a little bit more free, a little bit more like they can move. A lot of people rebelled against those guidelines. Felt like the guidelines were too stringent. Of course, a lot of people died. And and that's the thing. At the end of the day, do you want to live or do you want to have these guidelines? You know, exactly. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, it creates some inconvenience. You know, you have to miss work. You just have to miss school. But again, at the end of the day, Solomon, do you want to live? Yeah, or do you want to die. Exactly. And, and that mm-hmm. is that's the big question. <laughs> and I think we all know the answer to that. So, Dr. McDonald, there's a new analysis of 42 studies that's found something surprising, that drinking one glass or more of 100% fruit juice daily is associated with weight gain in children and adults. Shouldn't 100% fruit juice be healthy? What's going on with this? So when we talk about 100% fruit juice, we're talking about fruit juice that really has no extra added sugar to it. Um, however, you know, it, 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 so it has natural sugars in it, natural sugars from the actual, from, you know, from the actual fruit. However, we are still seeing that even just drinking 100% juice mm-hmm. is leading to increased BMI. When we talk about BMI, we're talking about obesity. So that can, so we're really saying is that, yes, if you're drinking 100% fruit juice, is definitely better than the, 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 the juice that has all the extra added sugars. However, you still need to limit it. You still need to limit it. So, for example, pediatrics, we don't recommend any juice for babies under a year of age. Mm-hmm. Between one and three years of age, we recommend four, four to, to six ounces. So we're, we're recommending limited juice 
because one, there really is no significant nutritional, there's no, no significant nutritional value to it. And two, um, we recommend that you're eating regular whole fruit over top of it mm-hmm. and always have more water in your diet. So these studies, you know, they've looked at multiple studies combined together that showing just even the fruit juice can be leading to weight gain. Mm-hmm. So we want to, if we're going to drink juice, it should be 100% fruit juice, but it should still be limited. Really, most of your diet should be water. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, Dr. Warlaw, where can we find the two of you? You can find us on all social medias at, at Sister Docs, uh, Facebook, X, Instagram, Threads. You can find also find us at our website at thetwistersterdocs.com. And Solomon, before I leave, I would like to say that uh, we would like to give our condolences to the family of Dr. Edith Mitchell, absolute yes. trailblazer, mm-hmm. absolute mentor for all of us. I mean, you know, she laid the groundwork for Dr. McDonald and I, and so many other physicians across the country, um, a great loss for our medical community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, she will absolutely be missed. Dr. Edith P. Mitchell passed uh, yesterday. She was with Jefferson and uh, we certainly will be looking out for the funeral arrangements so that we can let our listeners know. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.